Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Canadian Story. Uh, we have a very special guest here today. I know I say that regularly, but this is someone who is uh, near and dear to my heart, Anthony Kosh. He is uh, uh, born in Quebec. Uh, uh, he, he is a fluently bilingual, and more importantly, at least from my perspective, uh, he and I started Sheer Must Go together. Now, that might sound kind of negative for uh, The Canadian Story, but... I think Anthony and I both feel that the work we put in on that uh, was for the good of this country and, and particularly for the good of our party. Uh, why don't you speak a little bit about your background, Anthony, uh, your love for Canada and your love for your province? Yeah, so the, the love for the province parts, I think, in many respects, more interesting, but we'll, we'll get back into that for a little bit. So effectively, uh, I'm the grandchildren or the grandchild, I should say, of four immigrants. So I'm, depending on the definition that you use, I'm, I'm a second generation or a third generation Canadian, depending on whether or not you count the quote unquote immigrant generation that came here as the first or as the, or, or if that's more the people who were the first generation that were actually born in the country. But effectively, my mom's Italian. She's from the Italian South. Um, and then my father is a little bit more of an interesting mix. His father is German from uh, Nordrhein-Westfalen, which I believe in English is North Rhine-Westphalia. And then his mother is a mix. So she was actually born and raised in Egypt, but she's ethnically a mix of Greek, Greek Cypriot and uh, Italian as well. So it's a melange of people from all over the world that ended up in Canada for a variety of different reasons. Um, and then in terms of just my personal story, I grew up, like you said, in the outskirts of Montreal, mostly in Anglo areas of Montreal. And uh, got involved in politics because I decided one day that I was a crazy person who was going to be a young... <laughs> Truly a crazy a young, person. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 a young Anglo-Montreal Italian conservative. So I was... <laughs> you picked literally... You, you, you've always loved the underdog. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely one of a kind. or not, not anymore, but there was a time where I was, right? Um, no, so that, that's where really the thing for me is I, I grew up, I'm a big history nerd, always have been. Politics sort of is an extension of that original first love, which is a treat because as a young guy, I was always asking, you know, why are things the way they are? Why is it that Canada is the way that it is? And that applied to any number of issues, whether it was something just from taxes all the way to, okay, how come I speak English and other people speak French? And what's the source of the conflict that we often feel between each other and all these sorts of different things? Uh, and then it grew into a deep appreciation because because of my love of history, I was able to invest in my own family's personal history as well. So I learned about where I came from, where my family came from. So uh, like I often say, my family, my Greek family that was in Egypt, that's, a, that's one of my favorite stories anyway. It's not a happy story, but I, I guess it ends up a happy story, um, which is uh, my great grandfather was actually university educated, had a great job at what would later become mobile oil in Egypt and they'd lived there. My family had a presence in Egypt uh, around the Cairo, Alexandria, depending, they moved around a little bit, but for the better part of like 75 years. So I always tell people that portion in particular of my family was in Egypt longer than my family's been in Canada yeah, up, until, yeah. up until the present day. Okay. Um, and technically speaking, they were British nationals because 
they were Cypriots originally, and that was a protectorate of the British Empire at the time. And that was very common. You had a community in Egypt called the Metamassiru, not to get into too much Egyptian history here. But long story short, they're Egyptianized foreigners. So my grandmother speaks Arabic. Okay, she grew up in Egypt. That's, that's the culture that she was brought up in. Obviously, she speaks like six languages. So very bright woman. But Abdel Nasser came to power in the 1950s. Pan-Arab nationalism sweeps the region. And he basically decides, along with his folks, that, you know, people like my grandmother are not real Egyptians and that they need to get out. Oh, and by the way, to add on to the deal. <laughs> we're taking all your they, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we're, we're not taking all your stuff. Right. Here's a, a document saying that you willingly, out of the loving and caress of your heart, are surrendering all assets in the country to the Egyptian state. Thank you. Please put whatever you can in a suitcase and GTFO. Yeah. Um, wow. How, yeah. Uh, how yeah. kind of your family. That, I mean, it was so kind it, of your family to make that uh, generous donation exactly. to the Egyptian state. Yes. Exactly. And then so part of it just by, by sort of happenstance coincidence, like um, my grandfather, my German grandfather came to Canada because he wanted an adventure. I don't know. My Italian family, very common for a lot of people in southern Italy. The economy was ravaged after World War II. Things weren't that great. So like many people, my family decided to come to Montreal. Uh, that was an emotional experience. And when I went to Pier 21, actually in Halifax and got to see the very place where every single one, ex with the exclusion of my Egyptian Greek grandmother came into Canada through Pier 21 at one point. But then a great story that I like to tell, I know you're a fan of this one, Parker, just to put into like a full encapsulation of my of love of this country. And I could talk about it for much longer than an hour. But I think a great moment that really illustrates what I feel in terms of this loyalty and love for this place that gave me the opportunities to become the person that I am and to do the things that I've had the privilege. I think we can all agree. I've done some stuff at my age that, you know, a lot of people only ever dream of doing and that I'm not in their whole enough. lives in their whole yeah. lives. Right. And I'm not, and I, I'm very, uh, how do I say, I, I recognize immensely there. I was looking at that. I'm an Anglophone and I'm trying to find <laughs> the, the, the English translation for a French word, but I'm, I'm very grateful. That's the term. I'm very grateful and understanding that I, my life wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for the institutions of this country that gave me the opportunities that it has. And the best demonstration of that is a couple of years ago, as you know, Senator Leo Housakos is a very yes, big mentor Yes, I do love this story. I do love this story. And uh, so Senator Housakos calls me at some point. This was uh, December 2019, I believe. So we're talking just over two years ago. He calls me up and he says, um, hey, Anthony, you know, Prime Minister Harper's launching his book. And oh, sorry, so this is winter 2018. So yeah, that's what I meant by two and a half. Anyway, timeline's not super, super relevant. So he says, Anthony, Prime Minister Harper is launching his book in Montreal. He's having an event at uh, the Chateau, um, what is it called? Chateau Laurier. Not Chateau Laurier, sorry. My, my brain is not functioning. There's the Marriott <laughs> Hotel. Yes, yes, yes. Chateau, Chateau Champlain. That's the one that your grandma for, okay? worked at. Well, so you ruined the punchline. You ruined the whole thing. But that's, but that's the point. So so I go I go to this hotel and I, I help set up everything. Right, And I was staffing the big man that day. And before the whole event got kicked off, I got to go to Harper's Suite. And there was maybe five or six of us in there. And then, you know, the, the former prime minister of Canada, a person who I looked up to, and he's, he's the, the prime minister that quote unquote got me into politics, if you will. Yes. And yes. Uh, I'm chit-chatting and I look out the window and I'm, you know, we're at, we're at like the 50 something floor, whatever it is. Right. And it hits me at that moment. Like my grandmother worked as a line cook in this kitchen for the better part of like 25 years. And now you're and said, on and the here, 50th floor. <laughs> yeah, hang, hanging out, hanging out in a suit and tie. That I have no business wearing, okay, with, with big wigs and former prime ministers. And I just, 
in that moment, I was like, you know, there are not many places on earth where that kind of occurrence happens, right? You know, I, I, I wasn't born into the upper echelons of Canadian society. I'm not, a, I'm not a family compact or Chateau clique descendant, right? No. So, you know, no. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, another time I would have been called, uh, you know, dirty ethnic or whatever who came here, you know, and I, you know, I've had such amazing opportunities and experiences and I, I have, I'm not illusioned enough to assume that it's just because, you know, I'm so awesome that, no, you know, I, it's because we live in a fantastic country that affords people like me the opportunities that I've had. And well, I, think, I feel, I, I think you, you're a little too hard on yourself in that it might not be that you, you know, have the same credentials as others, but you have the drive to do like you, you act, you are an actor in the oh, world, right? Of course. I, 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 I try my best to be, I think for me, it's just, it's immensely important that, uh, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those people. I'm not going to throw back to like the Barack Obama ad. You didn't build that. Right. And that's, you know, no people have internal locuses of control and there, you can control your circumstances. Certain All I'm saying is I never want to be the guy who, on the extreme opposite end of the spectrum takes hundred percent credit for everything he's ever done without recognizing the conditions that existed partially because of my family. And of course, but also in the greatest part, I always say, you know, in today's day and age, we like to talk about privilege and I don't have the same hostility to those kinds of conversations that some other conservatives necessarily do. But I always say that that conversation at the very least should always begin with a recognition of the greatest privilege that any of us in this country have, which is either a being born here or b living here at the current time and being afforded the opportunity to become Canadian citizens. Absolutely, so I'm just, absolutely. yeah. And, and that for me is extremely important. So that that's my point. It's not to undercut myself or any sense of false modesty. It, it just very much to demonstrate to what extent I am conscious of the fact that this country really is a land of opportunity in many respects. And, um, that I'm eternally grateful for the opportunities that it has decided to bequeath to me. Yeah, well, and not only has it, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things that you and I bonded over initially is that I had a very similar uh, trajectory a little bit, it took me a little bit longer, but I come from a a little tiny ghost town with 14 houses in it, right? And to have gone from that at 18 to five years later, uh, literally flying on the the prime minister's challenger jet, working for him, uh, is just uh, that. That is a story that doesn't happen in other places in the world. I don't. Yeah, think. exactly. So one of the thing, two things that I want to talk to you about. One of them is an incredibly relevant thing to this very moment, and the other is something you and I've talked about a lot. But the first one, because I think it's so re- relevant, is the Wigger genocide that's occurring right now in, in China and the condemnation of it by the Canadian parliament with a vote of, I think it was 260, 260 to zero. Was it? Do you remember the yeah. exact number? Yeah. It was two, I think it was 266 to be Yeah, precise. that's what it was. Yeah, 266 yeah. to zero. And yeah. um, I loved a lot of the social media content that you were putting out on that. Uh, I, 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 I find it completely baffling that the liberals would not vote with that. It, uh, I mean, I understand the uh, the real pol- politique uh, reasons for it, but not the character and moral. Like, you, how, how could you? How could you? This claim, makes sense. How this makes claim? sense to me. Okay, well, why don't you explain why you think that this is going the way it is? I mean, this is a very classic trend, and not you know, I, I don't want to draw comparisons all the time between uh, Trudeau father and Trudeau son. But one of the things that never really gets talked or spoken about, I find, I, like, I, I, I genuinely believe, and I want to say this, 
as much as I support official bilingualism, that's one of the things that is, I think is a key tenet of this country. I know other people disagree. We're not going to get into that on this podcast. But when we talk about Pierre Trudeau's record, okay, even conservatives, the number one thing that we critique is his fiscal record, right? Because he racked up all this spending and deficit, whatever. We almost never, nobody in Canadian intelligentsia, be it in academia or just in broader body politics, talks about the fact that Canada's foreign policy in the 1970s and 80s was a tragedy of epic proportions before Brian Mulroney ended up taking office, okay? Pierre Elliott Trudeau was, in many respects, the original communist bootlicker. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Um, like, he really was. I mean, this is a guy who went to Siberia and made comments to the Soviets about, wow, uh, like, look how wonderful this is. Like, look at what all the things you're able to accomplish. And it's like, yeah, because they have slave laborers and gulags. Who, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, they, yeah. that, that's, how, that's how this was built, Mr. Trudeau, right? So always had this sort of ambivalence or even outright admiration for the Soviet Union or other dictatorial authoritarian regimes just because, you know, of their ability to, quote unquote, turn things around on a dime and all that sort of stuff. So, well, didn't, it, didn't, the, uh, didn't the current prime minister at one point say that he has an admiration for China? For the basic dictatorship. And yeah, yeah. I still, you know, I'll even give him the benefit of the doubt on that. I still think the, the, the quote is often manipulated and taken out of context. But it's the same general idea here, which is like this weird, like when you start to understand that a lot of the moralizing that comes from parties in the world, like the Liberal Party of Canada, is a political ploy. That you allow you like you know it's fantastic to apologize for things that you didn't do that happened a hundred years ago because you get all the perks of being look at me I'm the righteous man recognizing these great historical ills and there's no cost because everybody who was involved is dead right like there's no there, there there's no big like, like I can condemn Nazis all day long and you know there's no Nazi Germany that I have to worry about the political or economic class of Canada trying to interact with to get concessions. Like plenty of American companies got rich off Nazi Germany in the thirties and forties. Right. Yo, and these are the yeah. kinds of IBM, yeah, so, right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So you, you have a lot of these constituents of these situations. I mean, uh, not to get too into this either. Cause I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm saying if you look at the China or the Canada Chinese business council, okay. And the people they hire and you look at people in this country, like, no, I, by the way, it's not just a liberal thing, but I'm saying Jean Chrétien, John Manley, Jean Charest, a lot of these people post political careers and some of them, you know, when they're in this in-between period as they're transitioning away from public life, they're all on the Chinese dime. And it's people don't understand this. It's, I'm not talking about old style Italian corruption. Okay. I can say, cause I'm a WAP, but I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not talking about brown envelopes. Nobody's being bribed in such explicit terms. It's just like, hey, you know, the Chinese consul generals across the country hook up local business people with Chinese clients. And it, it, so it, it's, it's bribery, but it, it doesn't feel that disgusting. You know, hey, let me just facilitate business contacts. And then you've got other big companies that rely a lot on, on Chinese imports or whatever. So once the money starts flowing, people are less likely to speak up because now there's actually a direct financial cost. So I'm saying beyond the fact that a lot of Canadians, and I can say even people like me and you, Parker, even though me and you don't own companies that are exporting to China, no, by yeah. the way, only like 5% of Canadian exports go to China right now. They're not a major consumer of Canadian products yet anyway. Okay, Our trade's still overwhelming with the United States. But 
Canadians buy a lot of cheap Chinese yes, goods. Yes, yes, And that's that's the real. Well, that's of this. really the global addiction, right? The global addiction yeah. is cheap goods, cheap labor, and that's what that's the Chinese proposition. Bring it, bring but, your industries here, and we will produce your trinkets. Exactly, and, and you know, and, and we'll make sure that all of your business leaders are on some level, like you know will have favorable conditions, this, that, whatever, because they still have a, you know, a 1.4 billion person market is pretty sexy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you don't need to capture very much of that market to take care of yourself financially for life. No, I- I- exactly. Uh, and, and to answer on the Uyghur thing, just probably speaking, like something that some people, not everybody is, I- I'm, uh, I'm about to finish actually my conversion to Judaism. Okay. Uh, and here's a little interesting tidbit about me too, but like my, it's, it's a weird, like my great grandfather was a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I'm becoming a Jew. So I guess, I, but, but my, my old point is so in some level, this is, in, well, that's, my, that's a redemptive I, story. That's a, a generationally yeah, redemptive no, story. No, fair. But my, my, my point is this is personally, the Uyghur situation is personal for me in this regard, which is when you go back, if you look at the historical record in the thirties and forties, um, we didn't actually, we actually have more conclusive evidence right now about what the Chinese are doing to the Uyghur minority in China. Or I'll say, I won't say the Chinese, the Chinese regime or the Chinese Communist Party. I do not want to. Yeah, it's not Chinese people. It's a dictator. It's a dictator. I hate making, I hate making this comparison in general because every, it's Godwin's law. Everybody and their mother. Oh, like, every, everybody's everyone, always. Everyone now. Yes. Everybody's a Nazi. Yeah. Everybody's this. But, but this is the most appropriate comparison. This is the most fair comparison to the Nazi German regime and the treatment of the Jewish and other minorities in the country. That, that has existed in the last, since World War II, I'd argue, in many respects, okay? You have a highly developed country that is systematically trying to eradicate people. Okay? And, and in this, the name like, of- let's, let's not get, like, get this confused. Like, Rwanda is a totally different situation than this. Rwanda's you know, I, I, like a war, even, right? No, so, but I don't even, like, Rwanda was also a genocide. I, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to, to, to say that one is worse, or, or I, I find once you get into that, you get through the weeds and-, and it gets it distracts from the point that's trying to be made. All I'm saying is Canada as a country, okay. Lord knows our military has been garbage for years, okay. So no to all the people who like to mock me and make or other people that have the same perspective as me. I'm not suggesting that we send Canadian battalions to drop down on Beijing and seize the country, okay. No, 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 uh, no okay. But this sort of resignation, the thing that Canada has always had, and it's funny because liberals are the first people to always invoke this, and it tends not to be conservatives who do, this notion of soft power or this Canada has a moral weight to it when we speak on specific issues. Okay, And the most recent example of that in many respects was when Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan in the 80s didn't want to speak up about apartheid in South Africa, guess who was the first guy out of the gate who did? Yeah, Brian Mulroney, exactly. And that's why... Yeah, and that's the, why he the Irishman personal, from Quebec. Exactly, he maintained a fantastic relationship with Nelson Mandela's entire life, and he was invited both to the funeral and also to his swearing-in ceremony. Right, and he and, and Mandela always spoke about the role of Canada, particularly in those early days. Okay, when things weren't exactly the role that we had. So all I'm saying is, no, we're not no. going to bomb Beijing or shell Shanghai. Okay, that's not the, the world has changed. It's not World War II. Okay, we're not storming the beaches. Okay, that's not what I'm suggesting here. All I'm saying is why, I mean, I know why on some level what I'm saying, we have to be the country when nobody else wants to speak up and America is speaking up. So there's no excuse, but I'm saying even in the event 
even in the event that they didn't, we know a genocide is happening. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't we say it? You know, we have <laughs> no problem. Justin Trudeau literally said that we are, not only did we commit genocide, but that we are, Canada as a country is current committing an ongoing cultural genocide against its First Nations people. Okay, that was fine. He didn't need to do greater investigation. To, oh, there was no need for any of that when it came to, you know, him getting to throw the virtue signaling around in a domestic political context. Oh, yeah, he, he'll but do that God all forbid, day long. Right? Even Catherine McKenna put out a tweet yesterday, I'm pretty sure, about there was an incident that happened somewhere. I don't remember the specific details. Um, a woman, a Muslim woman in Canada was the, the victim of a, an Islamophobic incident. And they were like, we will always stand up for Muslim women. And, and I said, yeah, unless they're being systematically raped, sterilized, and genocided by the Chinese government, communist yeah, party. Then, 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 then we have nothing to stand for. Then you'll for. abstain from the vote. Right? Right? And, and you won't even have the Albays, forgive my pig Latin, to sit down and actually face the fire and, and vote. No, you'll send Mark Garno, and it's sad that they chose him. I understand because he's the foreign official, but Mark Garno, regardless of the fact that he's a liberal, many respects is a Canadian hero. And the yeah, fact that they put an astronaut. Fact, yeah, one of our astronauts. They, and the fact that they put him out there to say, I abstain on behalf of the government of Canada was disgusting in oh, a million and one different ways. Gross. On, above and beyond the general level of disgust that should be afforded to the fact that there are atrocities and crimes against humanity being perpetrated in China right now. And our response is to smile, wave, and put our hands over our eyes and pretend it's not happening. Yeah. How's that for courage, right? Well. Canada's back. You know, I'm not trying to be like <laughs> the classic conservative meme using all the same. But I mean, Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, we have, yeah, we have, yeah. you, you want to sell Canada as this vision of this progressive, like, heroic, we stand up for the, the frail and the disadvantaged around the world. And then every single time we have an opportunity to do so, whether it was the Yazidis when ISIS was committing genocide against them, right? Like, we're nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and, we're nowhere to be seen. And I want to I go into this because one of my favorite uh, conversations you and I had, it was actually in Ottawa where we talked for, it was right after Aaron had won leadership and you and I were talking about the future of the party and we were talking about the fact that liberals come to, when we say that we want to put Canadians first, ask Canada, which is something that Aaron has said um, and that, that you and I, I think, entirely agree with, we, we're accused of being racist. And I love your response to that. Why don't you just share that with the listeners? Yeah, so, so I think conservatives in this country are too coy, to use a lack of a better term. I, I don't think we attack enough and I don't think we're con- like We almost feel like we have to be careful with what we say as if we're saying something wrong. And I'll give you an example. If I was ever in a scrum, I had a journalist throw a microphone in my face and say, Mr. Kosh or Anthony, whoever it is, um, what would you say to anybody who would suggest that your Canada first foreign policy perspective is racist? I'd say, well, what race are Canadians? Yes. You, you, seem, you seem to have an idea. You, you seem to think that Canadians form some form of race. So please let me ask you, because I didn't think Canadians were composed of an ethnic group or a race, but you seem to think that they are. When I say Canada first, right, I always say Canada as a country, a nation, the national identity, as far as I'm concerned, and there's other people who disagree with me, I don't agree with these people, does not pass down through the bloodline, okay? It is a congregation of believers. Yes, okay? preach. That's what it is, <laughs> is, okay? For me, I'm a Quebecois, I'm not a Quebecois de Souche, right? And this is what we'll get into this a bit later if, you, if, if we have time, but I chose Quebec in my spirit. I learned, you know, French is not my first language ever. I'm saying I adopted the, the, the nation as my own. I, like, it's interesting because I was born in Quebec, but I still assimilated. 
like I, it's like I was like in some way I was an immigrant in the land that I was born in. I, you know, I didn't speak the language. I, there was a cultural a stranger in a strange land, right? Yeah, kind of thing. And and my point is, so it, someone would ask me like, you know, don't you think it's racist? I said, you know, well, last I checked, you know, my friend Muhammad is a Canadian too. Um, you know, uh, my Sikh friends are Canadian too. My Chinese friends are Canadian too. So I, I don't know why you think, but when I'm saying put Canadians first, I'm talking about everybody, regardless yeah. of race, religion, creed. But, and at but the end I'm of the day, talking about Canadians. Yeah. And it's the point. Like, it makes me laugh. It's like, would you ever suggest that somebody who believed they needed to feed their own son before they fed a stranger on the street or that they're a bad person? No. At the end of the day, if you have extra food, then yes, by all means, it's the righteous thing to help out others. But if somebody in your family is struggling, then you have an obligation to take care of themselves. And by the way, look at COVID. The lie of the international world was exposed because at the end of the day, when shit hits the fan and stuff gets real, oh, wow, the Germans care about the Germans first and the Italians care about the Italians first and India cares about India first. And it's like, that's not a bad thing, guys. Well, that's the way, like, you know what I mean? That's the weirdest part of this whole thing is we've got this... And I, and I, you know, this podcast is not about criticism, so I don't want it to become that. But, but I look at what the liberals did, and it, it's almost as if they assumed that because they were always trying to look out for other people, that someone would look out for them when, when a time like this came. And what they have come to realize is it's literally their job to look after, to look, not look after, but look out for Canada's best interest. And they thought that if they looked out for the world's best interest, that they would just, you know, get taken care of. But at the end of the day, if the Germans have to decide, are we going to be slower to vaccinate our population so that Canada can vaccinate theirs? Why would they ever choose that? Yeah, you never want to be in a situation where you have to ask really nicely um, (laughs) for something like this. (laughs) Yes. And and that's all you really got. It's like, hey, EU, you know, we're really good buddies. Like, you know... uh, do you mind not putting us on your export ban list so that we can vaccinate our people? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, like goodwill only goes so, so far in crisis type situations. So yeah. And, and that's my point, man, is and I understand why this is the case. Cause let's be honest here. Conservatives have practiced racist rhetoric in the past. Oh, uh, horrible. Not, it's been horrible. Not, not, not just in Canada, but around the world, you know, it's the easy, the lazy thing to do, which is to go for the nativist, sort of oh well uh, when you say we got to put canadians first unfortunately and this is the way you can go talk to anybody what a lot of people hear is okay they're talking about the old stocks yeah they're talking they're talking about they're talking about let's put john mcpherson first yeah right well they're they're talking about me yeah yeah well yeah they're talking about the david parkers of the world right yeah yeah. um and, and what's key is if it's amazing. It's a story that I tell often. I was helping out a candidate in a, an election campaign during the 2019 election. And part of it, he asked me to help him with a meeting with the Filipino community in Montreal. And I was laughing because I'm watching the president of the association who's a, uh, you know, he's been in Canada for a couple of years, but, you know, still very clearly an immigrant and prefers to speak uh, Tagalog to English or French and, you know, whatever. But it was hilarious because he was talking with my candidate. And this is a guy who's voted liberal his entire life, as long as he's been able to vote. It's a community, by the way, the, the Filipino community in the Mount Royal area in Montreal and Cote d'Ange, they vote liberal religiously, almost as a block. And this guy was like, I don't understand 
Um, it, it was hilarious to me. And I'm not to say that this is what we want to necessarily do, but he was just like, I don't understand why we spend all this money on foreign aid when we have homeless people in our own country. Yeah, right. I, He's been voting started, liberal all of his life. And I, just started la- I just started laughing because I went, oh my God, you know, liberals would say this is like the most racist white man opinion that I'd ever heard. And like, so I, I just, uh, like that man rightfully sees himself. Yeah, he's, he's Filipino and he's proud of his heritage and the country of his origin. But he, he saw himself as a full citizen of Canada. And he, when someone says Canadians first, it's like, yeah, they're talking about me too. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, and more than that, I think, uh, I think what bothers me, and I just I want to reveal this, not in a criticism sort of way, but in a pointing out something to people, just like with the Uyghur genocide, right? Just like the liberals will go around telling Muslims, literally telling Muslims that, that conservatives hate them. And, and here's the thing. Conservatives screwed that up, right? Conservatives after 9-11 saw they, they became opportunistic and they said there's fear around Islam right now because of what happened at 9-11 and we can utilize that fear. And, and your mentor uh, was on, uh, Senator Housakis was on the podcast and one of the things he said that I thought was so enlightening was there's two ways to do politics, hope or fear. Right. And Justin Trudeau has chosen the path of fear. He says he's chosen the path of hope. But what is his modus operandi dividing us? It's 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 putting the proud boys on terrorist watch lists while abstaining from a vote on genocide. It's uh, yeah. yeah, But but I will say, though, the one thing that does bother me to a certain extent is like it doesn't have to be a choice of one or the either uh, one or the uh, the other. Like, yeah. You know, do I think oftentimes certain right-wing fringe groups are overplayed by segments of the left. Sure. I think that they're underplayed in many respects by certain segments of yeah, the right. No, and, I agree and with that, you wholeheartedly and, on that. Right. And, and that's also true, by the way. Like I'm saying, you look at how conservatives talk, particularly in America, but also in Canada now, about uh, Antifa and all this. And like we act like it's it's more of a cohesive group than it actually is. Like that's, that's partially politics is par for the course. Mm-hmm. But I just think one thing, that we need to be as a country and as a movement in the conservative side of things is we need to be consistent and we need to be honest and we need to stop pandering and we don't do it all the time, but we do it enough. And I'm probably going to get flat for saying this, but we often do appeal to people's lesser angels. Yes. Or you yes. know what I'm saying? Well, cause that's uh, the easy way. It's, it's the, uh, it's the shortcut, right? Yeah, the hard not, in Can- work. not in Canada. It's not though. And, that, and this, no. is, this is the thing too. Like I'm saying like beyond the moral concerns, it's also just bad politics in Canada. Like I'm saying, you know, our country has changed immensely over the course of the last 30 years. Like Canada is a country where just over 25% are visible minorities. So I'm not talking all time. I'm talking like non-white period. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's going to continue to change. Well, okay? I'm, just, I'm just hoping every single person from Hong Kong decides to move here. All of them. Oh, among, among, yeah. Among many other, you know, population yes. groups in the world that are struggling. I think we should be the, the, the haven for all of them. It's, it's just that moving forward politically, the way, like, uh, don't get me wrong, the media in many cases, and of course the liberal party is always going to treat us in bad faith, but I'll give you the best example that I can think of. Steve Pakin, right? A titan of Canadian media was accused a couple of years ago of sexual impropriety in the workplace. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nobody bought it. And it was quickly, de- it was quickly determined after an investigation that actually it, there was a, a, a woman who was going through, uh, she was suffering immensely from some mental health issues, or whatever. And she made the accusation, but that it was ungrounded. 
Okay, there was nothing to it. And I thought it was amazing, particularly in the Me Too era, because everybody and their mother came out right away and said, there's no way Steve did this. Right. I know right. pick. I know pick. Women, men, people of every, you know, came out and said, you know why? And why? Because Steve never, and or Steve, I'm talking like I know the guy, Mr. Pakin, okay, lived his life honorably and decently to the point that it, anybody and their mother would ever come into contact with the guy, okay, would feel comfortable vouching for him. Yes. And I'm yes. saying the same thing with conservatives. Oh my God, you know, why do people accuse us of racism and this and that, whatever? It's like, guys, because we've given people reasons and plenty ample opportunities to accuse us of these things. And if we're consistent and we demonstrate to people with real actions beyond just saying, oh, we're not this, we're not that, we're not whatever, then that'll stop working. It's like the best example that we had in the live action, Stephen Harper, woo, the mysterious secret agenda. They're going to win their majority government and they're going to, you know, he's going to bring in a Christian theocracy. And then guess what happened? He won. And the profits of the Liberal Party of Canada were exposed as frauds and everybody went, okay, man, like clearly this is not what Harper's deal is. You know, you get the crackpots on, uh, who are going to believe that just because, you know, they wear their partisan stripes so strongly. But I'm saying regular people, if you show them, honestly, authentically, and decently who you are, they'll believe you. Well, that was really the tragedy of the 2015 campaign is, is uh, yeah, I feel we, like... We burned so much goodwill. We, we burned so much goodwill for nothing, right? We, we got... And that's a fun fact, by the way. That's something that I need to stress. And I, I always remind people of this. 2011 was a very unique election for many respects. But one thing that always makes me proud, in that election, the Conservative Party of Canada made history in that it was the only right-of-center political party anywhere in the world that actually received a higher percentage of the vote in support from immigrant naturalized Canadians than they did from native-born ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So how's that? How's that? Like, that's really awesome. We put in a lot of work and, and, and you know first time or Canadian, I'll call them Canadians by choice. You know what I'm saying? Like immigrant, first generation Canadians yes. chose us at a greater rate than people who were born here did. And that, yeah, okay? yeah, that, that so, is, that's what the party we need to become. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's and because it, and, they share our values. Yeah. they do. You know, I mean, man, immigrants, like beyond the family stuff, because you know, a lot of social conservatives make this point and I take it, it's well taken. But I'm saying you look at the entrepreneurial class in this country. It's immigrants. Right? It's, it's immigrants. Dis disproportionately so. Exactly. Right? There are people who have an appreciation for hard work. I'm saying I'm talking also from my own personal family background. But I'm saying whether you're Sikh, whether you're from the Caribbean originally, or whether you were a Greek guy who came over in the 1960s. No, it, it's the same uh, for the most part. Uh, and it's funny, too, because I will tell you, like, and this is something that I noticed not only in the Conservative Party, but just in Canadian politics in general, is like whenever you look at anybody's outreach teams, right? Like, oh, we're going to make you director of community. Okay, it, it's like it's tokenism to the finest point. Like, they'll take some, like, I remember I was actually talking with a friend of mine um, who's in a different political party, and they happen to be uh, Indian, okay? But Sikh particularly, they're Punjabi. Yeah, And they they wanted to put them like in charge of like this community outreach. And they basically went like, listen, man, I grew up in a community surrounded by Italians and Jews. Like, I'm not the person that you want to do this. And everybody was just sort of like, but you're brown. Oh. Right. Like that was like, that was the extent of it is like, oh, like, and, and it's hilarious. because like Not to toot Senator Husakos's horn too much, but I have a tendency to do that. But I'm saying like, if you ever see this guy do community outreach with, you know, not just the Greeks and the Italians. Right. I'm talking broadly. 
he's the son of immigrants. He grew up with that, you know, immigrant neighborhood surrounded by a bunch of different people who all came to the country around the same time. And were just trying to make their way up in the world. And when he talks about that experience, people go, yeah, that's mine. Yes. They don't care. They don't care. That he's a white dude. Right. No. They really don't care. They really don't care. And, and this is like, this is what I'm talking about. I find it hilarious. Like this idea that in order to reach people, um, you have to like look like them or have the same name as them. There's often times where that can help, but we're, we're too hesitant on that. And then like, yes, there's authenticity issues. Like again, uh, not to criticize this too much, but like Aaron's making a very concerted pitch to the Quebecois nationalists right now. And it's just like, man, uh, we, and we need to do that. I think that's the direction we should go to a certain extent as a party, but it's just the most Anglo human being on the face of the earth from the GTA. <laughs> like, je vais défendre les droits des Québécois. Like, buddy, no one believes, like, you're the champion of the Québécois nation. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, it's like, nobody's going to believe that, man. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, it, it's, it's yes. not, it's not. Like, you you can voice support, but you got to get a better messenger for that. So there's, there's circumstances where there's nuance, I agree. It's just, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity that we don't necessarily well, we haven't we haven't seized yet but uh, i mean that's what uh, that's what you and i are here for to to try to <laughs> find those opportunities and and you know do our little part as cogs in the machine to get the engine running uh we're almost out of time here but uh, i do want to hear at least a five minute uh anthony riff on why you love quebec why i love quebec because um, it's similar for my love for my other adopted people, the Jewish people in this respect, which is uh, you basically have a group of people who are abandoned by their country in this strange land across an ocean. Okay. Yep. Yep. Are conquered in every sense of the word and who refuse for 400 years to surrender who they are. Yes. Okay. Yes. Through hell and high water. And it's not, you know, at various points, that identity has changed or molded or whatever. But at the end of the day, a Quebecois, and this is one thing that I appreciate about Quebec relative to other parts of the country sometimes, you, you know what it is to be a Quebecois. You can feel it in your heart. You can feel it in your soul. There's a cult, an independent culture here. Like it's, it's almost self-describing. You know, you don't, you know, when you ask, what does it mean to be Quebecois? What does it mean to be Italian? What does it mean to be whatever? Like, that those answers, the answers to those questions come much easier than it does to what is a Canadian. And I think this is probably great for another episode in the future, but it's like, yes, yes. To be Quebecois is not to just not be an American. No, right? no, no. It's a very, it's uh, no. a real identity. It's with a real a re identity. With not not and, only and that with real media that talks about real issues and, and like is watched by the Quebecois regularly. Yeah. So I'm saying, no, I, for me, it's just uh, it, partially it's familial, partially it's other things, but it's just, you know, I, I mean, I love Quebec because I love Quebecois music. I love Quebecois food. I love the Quebecois people. Uh, like you said, we've got a, a unique identity and culture here that's not found anywhere else in the world. And a lot of people don't understand this, okay? But like Quebecois do not see themselves as like French from France. Like there's, there's relationships no, there, but, but there's no like, you know, Oh, la mère patrie. Like nobody's like dreaming of some sort of re French colonization or anything. No, like it's an independent identity, like suggesting the Quebecois are like the French from France. It's about every bit as absurd as suggesting that Americans think that they're British. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that level of separation. Um, so it, it's just, well, I, here's what I would say. Um, I obviously growing up was kind of taught to not like Quebec 
um, not taught by my parents, but it's just the pervading feeling out West is that Quebec is somehow getting a better deal. But when I've met you and, you know, been in politics and begun befriending uh, both people who've adopted Quebec as their home and and people like, even like Yanis, but also people like Alupa, right? Like these these people who love their home, right? Which is really what it's about. Um, and, and to seeing what a beautiful province it is. Uh, I, I have one, uh, well, our mutual friend David MacArthur once told me, Quebec is the most beautiful province in this country. Now, you know, there's going to be debates on that from every province, but it is a beautiful province. It's an absolutely gorgeous place. And, um, and to, to, to truly understand how the Quebecois love their home is to understand this entire project that I'm embarking on, which is to make people feel the same way about Canada as the Quebecois feel about Quebec. No, I think that's the goal. And, but we, and just as long as we recognize that, you know, everybody's going to... It's like, uh, here, to use a Jewish example, it's like uh, Shabbat, okay? Shabbat's about a lot of things. And everybody has their own. Some for some people they love it because they're spending time with their family. For other people they love it because they're connect, getting closer with God. For other people they love it because it gives them a twenty-five hour period where they put all their technology away. Whatever your takeaway is, whatever your reason for loving Shabbat, or in this case, loving Canada is, that's great. That's your reason. What matters is that you love it. Yes, exactly. Right? Yes. So, so just, so just love is yeah. a verb. So, so love it, is a verb. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just as much as like I like that example. I like that, that that turn of phrase, if you will, which is that we want Canadians to love Canada as much as many Quebecois love Quebec. It's just recognizing that that love is going to look different depending on the part of the country that we're in, and that's okay. We're yeah, a country exactly. of uh, we're a country of disparate tribes in many cases, and everybody's going to find something. We have to we have to cast a wide enough net. Everybody can find something to show their love for the country. But uh, also, you know, at the same time, one of the reasons Canada has been so successful, as far as I'm concerned, is that our definition of who is a Canadian, like we were talking about before, never was super restrictive. And yes. it shouldn't ever be. Our, well, country, our country won't be able to survive if we no. try. And the next time that you come on, which hopefully will be relatively soon, I do want to go way more in depth on, on the dynamics between Quebec and the rest of the country. But uh, I guess I would just say uh, we haven't talked about Quebec much on this podcast yet, and that's a big reason uh, why I wanted to have you on, and we're going to have other people on from Quebec for sure. But for all the listeners who you know have become bigoted towards a people because they don't understand them. I would encourage, I would encourage all of my Albertan listeners uh, to go to Quebec and you'll realize the Quebecois are Albertans. Just they care about different things, but they love their home. We like to see them. I always laugh. because It's like, you know, we're two, we're two people who we hate, like, you know, there's always fights, not to say that we hate each other, but it's just, it's hilarious because we're so similar. No, oh, I know. And I feel I like know. that, aggra- like that, that, ag- that aggravates, that aggravates the, the, the conflict between us like yelling at somebody who's just as stubborn and angry as you right? <laughs> so it's the same sort of idea but no i love I, that I, I listen listen man listen i i know a lot of people don't like this old coalition but still the greatest coalition to ever be created in the history of canadian politics is between quebec and alberta yes whenever yes. quebec and alberta are on the same page great great things happen right so this is the goal yeah. this is the goal <laughs> um well thank you anthony uh, mm. unfortunately i have a, a meeting that i have to go to but thank you so much for coming on thank you for your friendship and thank you for your love of this country thank you sir thank you for listening to the canadian story 
You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the CAD story. That's the CAD story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is. 